And from the Gospel according to John, chapter 4, let me begin reading at verse 4. And he, that is Jesus, had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, was setting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me to drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman therefore said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I am a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is who says to you, give me to drink? You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have well said, I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one with whom you now live is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped in this mountain, and you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem shall you worship the Father. You worship you know not what. We worship that which we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Amen. May God bless to our heart this reading from his word. I just have a very few minutes, and so I'm going to cut down on what I have to say by talking to you about some of the casual encounters that happened to Jesus, and especially I thought it was appropriate today because of Jerry's wonderful testimony, because of coming from a Jewish background, and because of what we see here in the fourth chapter of the Gospel according to John. Here we are watching our Lord Jesus. In John chapter 3, he is visited with an eminent learned theologian, an old, distinguished, and talented, and able man of God, who sensed something in Jesus that was different from anything he had ever seen in anyone else, and comes to him as a teacher come from God. He is mystified by it all, and Jesus tells him to listen to the wind, because there is always a mystery to the wind. It can be like a gentle zephyr that sweeps into the room to cool us on a sultry day. Or it can come like Hurricane David 
ripping up buildings in its path, bringing death and destruction, hurtling in great waves of the sea. The wind is awesome and powerful. You cannot take a picture of the wind, but you can see its effects. And Jesus says so it is with the way in which the Holy Spirit works. The Spirit of God works his own way, and he works where he chooses to work and how he chooses to work. Nicodemus was, was greatly taken back by this, and yet Jesus helped him out of his confusion and led him into a meaningful faith in him that caused him to be one of the bravest who was there with him, there at the crucifixion, and there when Jesus was placed in the tomb. Now, it's remarkable to me how Jesus can shift from being in the company of a learned, distinguished theologian with a minute, detailed understanding of the law of God and great and profound questions to answer, to an ignorant woman of the street, noted for harlotry and immorality, who comes out under the blazing hot noonday sun to get water at the well at Sychar, perhaps because she's sick of the women in the city who talk about her. And Jesus now accommodates himself to speak to her. And it's a very remarkable encounter. She's not trained in theology like Nicodemus. She has a smattering knowledge. And it's an interesting encounter because for all those hundreds of years, there had been this intense hatred between the Jew and the Samaritan. You remember when the temple was being rebuilt? The Jews would not allow any Samaritan of mixed blood to have any part in the building of the temple. And although these Samaritans had clung to the book of Moses, the first five books in the Bible, they would not accept many of the other parts of the Old Testament scriptures, and so they were looked upon as wretched heretics of mixed blood. The disciples marveled when they came back and saw Jesus talking with this woman because he had evidently taken a drink of water. And no Jew would possibly drink water out of the same dipper that a Samaritan had taken water out of. You can remember a few years ago when you're in the south, there were water fountains for the whites and water fountains for the blacks. Well, this is some of the intense paranoid race hatred that seems to exist here. And you watch and see how it begins to develop. He comes to this place and his disciples have gone into the city to buy food. It's hot, it's noontime. And the Samaritan woman comes and Jesus asks her a question, give me a drink of water. And I think that she must have almost bantered with him a little bit. She said, you know, you Jews are really something. You won't have anything to do with us Samaritans unless you want something out of us. The well's a hundred feet deep. 
You don't have anything to draw with. And so you ask me for a drink of water. Now how is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink of me, who am a woman of Samaria? Now Jesus is not put out by what she says, but he says to her, if you knew who was speaking to you, and you understood what the gift of God was, you would ask of him, and he would give you living water. Living water is water that purifies. Well, this creates a little curiosity in her. She knows that he can't draw anything up out of that long, deep well. So she says back to the history question again, you're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us the well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks of this water shall thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I shall give in him shall become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. She can't understand this kind of talk. You remember Nicodemus on the other end of the scale when Jesus said you must be born again was crass enough to say, how can an old gray-headed wrinkled man enter into his mother's womb and be born again? In another place, the Jews are going to say, how can we eat this man's flesh and drink this man's blood? And so the woman says to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't have to go to the trouble to come all the way down here and, and draw water like this. She had an idea that he was some kind of madman, perhaps. And she would just push him a little further. So she said, give me this water so I don't have to come here and draw water anymore. And then Jesus brings her to the point of confession. Go call your husband. And she replies a little demurely, I have no husband. And Jesus said, you're right about that. You've had five. <laughs> and the one you're living with now is not your husband. Yeah, you told the truth. And she said, sir, I perceive you are a prophet. <laughs> he got right inside of her mind and her thinking processes so that she is startled now by what he has to say, so startled that she knows he is no madman. So now she'll talk about formal religion. And so she says, you know, you Jews say that we ought to worship in Jerusalem, but those of us who are Samaritans say that we ought to worship in this mountain here. And Jesus said, listen, the time is coming when those who worship the Father will worship him in spirit and in truth. And geography is not going to have anything to do with it. 
And she says, well, I know this, and when the Messiah comes, he will tell us all about this. And here is the tremendous thing. Jesus says to, of all people, to this ignorant, five times married woman who is living with a man who isn't her husband now, I that speak to thee am he. He reveals that he is the Messiah to such a person as this. Now this to me is quite remarkable. And it means that no matter who you are, that God is ready to reveal himself and take the initiative and show you his love in Jesus Christ, which is able to save you from your sin problem and to give you meaning and purpose for your life to give you that living water. This is what the church needs to be showing to the world about us. We've talked some about transcendence, God coming from outside, and here Jesus is speaking of that, for God has come in him. We duplicated in transcendental meditation and in some of the films and the books that are written from the secularist standpoint, but here it is right in Scripture. Here he is telling us the truth, and here he speaks to this woman of the truth. Here he seeks to give to her significance, this nobody, this prostitute, this woman who's down drawing water in the middle of the day, he's going to give to her the greatest knowledge that the world has ever had given to it. What a tremendous revelation. It shows that she is significant. Our friend a moment ago spoke to us about psychiatry, which means the healing of the mind. And it's interesting that those great fields of psychiatry that were dominated by Freud, who spoke about the pleasure that got frustrated and was the source of so much of our undoing, and then Adler, who spoke about the man's quest for power and that this really was his undoing. He couldn't feel enough power. And Viktor Frankl, and I think Viktor Frankl is still at the University of Vienna, has the school of logotherapy, which takes its meaning from the first chapter, from that word in the first chapter of John Logos which says that man really needs to have some meaning for his life. He had started to come to his conclusions when he himself had become a victim of Hitler's insane and demoniacal persecution of the Jews. And when Frankl was led into Auschwitz himself, and where he noticed that those prisoners who were the most likely to supply, survive were those who had some sense of meaning in life. And so when a patient asked him the question, why shouldn't I commit suicide? Frankel would reply, do you, why don't you commit suicide? And then when they gave him the reasons why they didn't, then he would work with those reasons to show that there were some meanings there. 
Well, we do not need to self-destruct because God has created us to know him. And our hearts are restless until they rest in him. And this is what he wants this, this woman to know. And then from this, there's going to come a sense of community. Community that later on becomes so evident that I wish that we had time to see it unfold here in this remarkable passage of Scripture. Go on this afternoon and enjoy reading uh, through this and to see what wonders have occurred. At this point, his disciples came back and marveled that he had been speaking with a woman. A rabbi wouldn't even speak to his wife in public. Yet no one said, what do you seek or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot. Now, boy, this is a great mark of eyewitness authenticity. Who else would have thought of putting this little thing in? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, they knew her, Come see a man who told me all the things that I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? She went back into the city where the men were and said to them, Come and see a man who told me all the things that ever I've done. This is not the Christ, is it? She is beginning to believe that this is the Christ indeed. The 139th Psalm says, Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thoughts afar off. Thou art acquainted with all my ways. There is not a word hid in my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And the woman says, come and see a man who told me all the things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? The same one, the same God of the 139th Psalm has now been revealed to her in flesh there by that well in Sychar. And so these people, then they went out of the city and were coming to him. In the meanwhile, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, eat. And he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. He looked refreshed. Think about Jesus being hungry and thirsty and tired. And when they come back, he looks refreshed. And what's he done? He's been talking to this poor thing about her relationship to God, and it's refreshed him and made him feel all good inside. For he says to them, my food is to do the will of him that sent me and to accomplish his work. And then he cautions them. You say that there are four months and then comes the harvest. Behold, I tell you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields. They are white to harvest. And they lifted up their eyes and they looked and they saw all of the people from the village, all these Samaritans in Sychar coming out there, all of these men. And later when Philip goes and preaches in Samaria, you're going to find that he's welcome there and that a great lay renewal program will break out with this deacon who is Philip, the evangelist. And I think you can trace it right back to this woman here, whom, as I told you, the country preacher characterized as the old sister who went down to the well with a bucket in her hand and came home with a well in her heart. She goes back with the well in her heart, 
and it flows. And then many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified, he told me all the things I have done. And the Samaritans came out and they said, now we believe. It is no longer because of what you have said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves and know that this one is indeed the Savior of the world. Now what is an apparently casual contact with Jesus turns out to be a transforming experience. Your coming to Montreat this morning can mean just that much too. Woodrow Wilson, the great president of the United States of America, sat in a barber shop one day and watched a big thick-set man with a beard come and sit down into a barber shop and enter into a conversation with the barber. And as he spoke to the barber in very kindly terms, the barber noticed that this man really did care about him. And as he began, the conversation continued on. The thick-set man spoke to him about Jesus. And Woodrow Wilson, who was reading a newspaper and looking over it, later told his friends, the big man was Dwight L. Moody, and I was sitting in on an evangelistic service and watching it take place to his congregation of one, and it was one of the most moving experiences I ever had in my life because it was his concern for him. And he's concerned about you this morning, about you and that you should come to know him as your Savior and Lord. He wants you to pass it on too. John Stott warned us this summer about what he called rabbit hole Christians. You know what they are? They are Christians who live in their little Christian homes, and then in the morning when the alarm goes off, they come out of their Christian hole, and they look this way, and they look that way, and then they run quickly to their car, and drive to their Christian business where they work with their Christian associates until five o'clock in the afternoon and then they come down the elevator and look this way and look that way and then run quickly to their car and back to their Christian home and then on Sunday they look this way and that way and then they run quickly to their church but they don't witness to people like this woman at the well you need to go to church You need to because Scripture commands it, because it's a witness to the resurrection, and because you need the instruction from the Word. You need Christian businesses and Christian homes, but take that salt of the world, that light of the world, out into the world so that others will come too and know the Savior. That's the message here of what happens. The words of Jesus spoken to this woman at the well, have spoken to the whole wide world down through the centuries. He is the one who cares about you as an individual. I told you about the Russian soldier, didn't I, who came to break up a meeting of people who were passing out Bibles in the city in Moscow, and the coal porter took his Bible and he began to tear pages out of it, hand it just to people on the street. Then the the soldiers ran toward them so they had to scatter. 
It was an unauthorized religious assembly. And this poor dumb Russian soldier picked up one copy of the page from the Bible and it said, The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah, saying, And he thought, I never believed in God. And yet this says, The word of the Lord came unto Jeremiah. Who is Jeremiah? He said, I never read about him in in Isvestia. I never read him about him in Pravda. Jeremiah is a nobody. Why does God speak to a nobody? And then he reasoned, if God would speak to this Jeremiah who is a nobody, then maybe God would speak to me. And though then he offered a prayer, He said, God, you spoke to this Jeremiah, who is a nobody. Nobody ever heard of him. My name is Nikolai. God, will you speak to me? And do you know that that led to a hunger in his heart that led him into a fellowship of Christians, that led him into a belief as Jesus, as the Messiah, and he became saved? That's his concern for individuals. And that's his concern that we should radiate and show to the world that is round about us. We do this by humbling ourselves before him. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we pray that you will indeed enable us to be pure in heart and to rejoice in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ and what it means that it reaches the length and depth and height of your great love for us. And so we pray that we may know and sense your presence as we leave this place today, knowing that each one of us is the object of your special love and care, and that you want us to grow in our faith, and you want us to radiate that faith to other people too. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God our Father and the communion and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, our keeper and our guide, be and abide with you all now and forevermore.